0: some of my uncles uh, went to scouting. They were part of a scout group that was illegal. Uh, they were 10 or 11, but yeah, families knew that. For instance, scout groups were one of the places where you could learn Catalan language because it was forbidden outside. Mm. So many of these things were part of a civil society resistance yeah. of the dictatorship, particularly important to make possible that 40 years later, Catalan language was not extinguished or the Catalan feeling of political community kept existing.
1: This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and that was the voice of Eduard Bayori talking about the history of the scouting movement in Catalonia. As a former Cub Scout, I used to think I had a pretty decent handle on what scouting's all about. It turns out I didn't know the half of it, as you may have already guessed. Today, Edouard is the Director General of the Barcelona Institute of Science and Technology, the chair of the Center for UNESCO in Catalonia. UNESCO stands for the United Nations Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization. They're the ones who declare places to be World Heritage sites, but they do a whole lot more than that. And all this is striking because Edouard did really, really badly in school. Although he did really well as a scout. He recently wrote a book called Apprendra, which is learning in Catalan, about his experience in school and about how he makes sense of it now. In our interview, Edward started off talking about one of the key themes of the book, the different roles of formal and informal education in his life.
0: I've been thinking that education was mostly school for almost all my life. And this is because my school experience was very bad. I repeated several courses. It was normal for me to do September exams. I didn't arrive to university until I was 22. And uh, that means that I repeated three courses in high school and uh, one of the academic years I didn't study. So the idea of education to me was linked to school. However, I've been involved in non-formal education institutions, mostly uh, the School and Boy Scout movement. And, uh, and later on when I did my PhD dissertation was on global citizenship education. So. I realized that it was another approach of education, but it, no, it was not until 10 years ago when I realized that it was another approach of what education is that challenged my traditional view and many people's traditional view of what school should be.
1: Awesome. You live in Barcelona now. Is that where you grew up? Yeah, I'm born and raised in Barcelona. Yeah. Did you like school? I mean, obviously you had trouble with it, but did
0: you, did you enjoy it? No. I hate it. I found it uh, boring, and I found it threatening. It it was a a space of uh, not uh, nice interactions. And the most interesting thing is that I don't think that this is mostly because teachers, because there are some of these teachers that I'm still close to. Uh, It was because the, the assumptions that we all had, adults and children, on
1: what school was, were totally in the other extreme of my interests and my needs. Do you remember a time when you liked school? Was there a time when, like, the very young Edward, liked going to school?
0: Yeah, until I was eight or nine, more or less. Uh, I like it. I'm one of these uh, totally average kids that love learning, that read, ask thousands of questions, explore, uh, uh, experiment, and uh, when school was uh, and space for me to do this, uh, it worked. When it started to be focused on getting particular grades and passing particular tests, it didn't match
1: anymore on, on my needs and my interests. Now, is there a moment that you remember of going oh, something's, something's going wrong here. Yeah, it
0: was, uh, it was when I was um, 10, 11, that I started to fail exams. It was the first time that I realized that, oh, there is something that I'm expecting to do that I'm not able to, and I don't know exactly why. And the interesting thing since then, I kept having the same problems, And the most interesting thing is that I never understood, I never had any feedback of the why. The question was always, well, this is probably because you don't put enough effort, you don't put enough interest, but it never told me... There is a problem of your understanding of the algorithm or of your uh, conception of uh, of what uh, a syntactic, syntactic structure is. So today I understand that I've never had a learning feedback, but it was clearly one of the things that I missed the most. And you said still, you still
1: know some of your teachers. Have you ever asked them about that? Yeah. Uh, one
0: of the results of the of uh, this moment of change uh, around eight, 10 years ago. I was a uh, director of a graduate school of uh, economics in Barcelona and after being six years uh, directing this institution, in, uh, it was an alliance of two universities, I decided to leave it and uh, and to take a sabbatical year and I went to NYU. And in that time I started to connect with educational institutions, the work of the, of the um, a Comparative and International Education Society, At several points that show me uh, a different logic on how learning and how education uh, should be. After that, when I went back to Barcelona, I started to connect with several schools and I launched an initiative for education change. And I say all of this because it was through this initiative that mobilized uh, around 500 schools that one of the schools that entered into this was my old school. I entered in touch, and I was invited to the school from the, by the school to go and give a talk there. And I had this conversation, and what I realized, is that um, many of the teachers had the, were as puzzled as I was. I mean, they wanted kids to learn, but their understanding of learning had no alternatives of the traditional explaining and digest way. Mm-hmm. So I realize that sometimes what happens is that there are no tools to go out of this cage That is, that is a cage both for students and for
1: teachers. So at, I have a eight to 10 year old, Edward starts failing exams, doesn't understand why, no one can really help, then 22 year old, Edward, starts college late because he's had to repeat years and failed, and then I have eight to 10 years ago from now, Edward is running a graduate school of economics. (laughs) So fill in the details there, (laughs) how does that? Um, Well, the first
0: time that I started to make sense of all of this was uh, very recently. uh, Last year, because a publisher Uh, asked me to write a book based on my school failure. And taking this point, uh, I started to reflect on what happened in the middle. So the question is, what and how uh, learn a person that didn't learn in school? And what I realized is that uh, I was lucky enough to have both, a great experience in non-form education through um, civil uh, civil society involvement, associations, young movements, uh, uh, particularly scouting on the, on the one hand, that make me develop um, skills and values that had been incredibly uh, valuable in my life. But also creating network, interacting with other people, understanding my potentials, and being able. Um, took up on something that uh, to me now I realized that was particularly relevant, which is self-esteem. So what I realize now is that uh, the worst thing that happened to me in that time when I was a
1: teenager, a late teenager, was that my self-esteem was destroyed. So, let's, so it seems like the scouts were really important. Is that when you talk about civil society and youth movements is the scouts where that starts for you? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, scouting in
0: in Catalonia is particularly important because it grows in opposition of the dictatorship. So it's uh, slightly different than, uh, I would say, the average uh, scouting in the States. It grows in the anti-dictatorship, so it's quite reluctant to power, to verticality, to, uh, to military. But it has the same uh, grounds of empowering young people through giving them responsibilities yeah. and making them grow. No? And, yeah, it was important because I, I was there until since I was eight, and it gave me
1: responsibilities when I was growing up. Yeah. Okay, I don't know if you can do a little history of scouting, but that is fascinating. So how does it come about that people say, well, let's start a anti an, an oppositional youth movement? How does that happen? <laughs> um, actually, it started a little bit before.
0: So Catalonia had built again uh, its um, self-government structure in the 30s of uh, the 20th century because the Spanish Republic. So before it had a a situation of like limits of the use of the Catalan language and and institutions were kind of blocked. But during the first third of the 20th century, in Catalonia, many things related with education and society flourish. Yesterday I was uh, speaking on on Francesc Guardia, the builder of the modern school a person that was so relevant and also who was killed by his ideas accused of anarchism but in that same time another person uh, came to the States studied with, uh, with John Dewey, went back to Barcelona started to spread Dewey's ideas uh, so many of these things on transforming education as a means to transform how society is developed and it was in this context in the 20s that people that had this approach started to say we want to take this methodology called scouting and to ad- adapting this uh, to empower young people in our society so in the 20s and in the 30s this growth and then the dictatorship, the civil war and the dictatorship the coup d'etat uh, arrived, and in '39 it started the dictatorship. But these movements already were acting, and although they were illegalized, um, they were one of the most important sources of resistance and of building new leaderships for the anti-dictatorship. So were the scouts illegal? Uh, the Catalan, scou- the Catalan, uh, Catalan scouts uh, were illegal, yeah. Uh, the illegalization of scouting happened uh, in Nazi Germany, in Fascist Italy, in Fascist Spain, uh, in Japan, in Russia after the after the Revolution of the Seventeen. So totalitarian regimes had forbidden scouting. But in Catalonia, the so Spanish scouting was not illegalized, whereas Catalan scouting was illegalized, meaning that if you belong to this, uh, you could go to jail.
1: But it kept going.
0: It kept going. It kept going hidden in many uh, different activities, like in church actions in um, uh, hiking clubs, actions so they were hidden and in uh, um, there some of the things that that are explained in the 40s is people who went without the scarves or stuff and then when they arrived in the countryside they put it as a as a sign also of uh identity right right
1: how old are do you start scouting how Ah, uh, when you start you could start when you are six so in the 1940s I mean, for a while, you'd have a family who'd have a six-year-old, and they'd go, okay, we're going to go do this thing. You can't tell anyone about it. If you see a cop, hide it. And Yeah, and I know that precisely because some of my
0: uncles... Uh, went to scouting and went in that way. They were part of a scout group that was illegal. Uh, Maybe they were not six, but they were 10 or 11. But yeah, families knew that. Uh, For instance, scout groups were one of the places where you could learn Catalan language because it was forbidden outside. Mm -hmm. Uh, So many of these things were part of a civil society resistance of the dictatorship, particularly important to make possible that forty years later, Catalan language was not extinguished, uh, or the Catalan feeling of uh, of political community uh,
1: kept existing. Yeah. yeah. And was this just a boys' thing, or how no, did that boy, boys and girls. Yeah. Boys and girls, right? Mm-hmm. So it was uh, together yeah, in, in Catalonia. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's uh, it's uh, educational. right? And that's still true today. Oh yeah. So how does this how, how does this start for you? When do you start? Get, when did you get involved? Uh, I started when I was eight. Uh,
0: My mom told me, oh, there are these things, the scout, why don't you go, and I hated it. I went there, and I remember the first day that I went there, I don't know, I wanted to do something, someone, maybe the scout leader told me something that I felt that it was mean, and I went back and I told my mom, look, I don't want to go there anymore, this is uh, something that I don't like, these people, and she said, look, okay, let's make a commitment, you go a couple of times more, and then we decide. And uh, yeah, and I've been uh, since then uh, collaborating in 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 my country, scout leaders are young people, meaning people between 18 and 24, more or less. So I, I was involved both as a scout leader and later on on leader of the association. So until my mid-30s I was hugely involved and until now at world level at the World Organization of the Scout Movement and the World Association of Girls and Girl Scouts have been collaborating uh, on with talks and strategic things, documents, etc. So what, what changed?
1: After that first day, why why did you stick with it?
0: I think that uh, the most interesting thing for me for scouting was the combination of having a community, uh, a people that you share values with, and these values are also linked to making you feel belonging and having an an space of of uh, of love and acceptance, and at the same time having. Um, a context where you could explore and try things, and in, in many different ways, uh, intellectually speaking, practically speaking, learning from
1: others, creating permanent challenges. So you had these sort of two parallel experiences. Um, you talked about at school that you're failing, you don't understand why, no one else seems to understand why, no one has any ideas there, and then meanwhile, were things going better in scouting?
0: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. As I said, I realize now how the two worlds starting to separate in a way that were parallel and distant. Uh, the more um, the more um, years passed by, uh, the more distance they were. And this is because one area was focused on goals that I was unable to achieve for the reasons that they were and on permanent judgment, you are unable to. And the other world was based on challenges, on love and affection, on sense of community, and on permanent learning. It's like a contradiction that I realize now. But learning should have been the main element in my
1: school experience, and it, it never was. So this is a slightly odd question. You talk about exams, where these, you know, this key moment in school—they're kind of the moment—and you are failing at them. What was the equivalent of exams in scouting?
0: Uh, Projects, yeah. So um, we decide that uh, this year for Christmas we are gonna do a video on the tenth anniversary of our scout group. Uh, for parents and for families, and for the other members of the scout group. So we are a group of like six uh, scouts and we are maybe uh, 15. What should we do? Well, we have to do a video. We don't know how to do it, but one of our scout leaders was a journalist, and he had a camera, and he told us, look, we have to do these particular sketches, and let's take sketches that we know from other places, from films and stuff, and adapt it to something related with the history of our scout group. Now that uh, that scout leader that I had when I was a kid um, is one of the three producers of one of the most successful, let's say, politics mocking or politics humor programs that does exactly the same that we did that uh, in that Christmas, right? Here's it all to you. Exactly. Well, <laughs> no, the other way around. So we were learning to do what we are seeing now, and it was a big a success when we showed and for us that project was something that our life was on that this logic of projects projects means something that is that makes sense to do that is worth putting effort on it no and i think that this had been my mo- all my life and particularly all my uh, professional focused had been led by this idea of something that is yeah. worth devoting your time to
1: looking at that at that video You had to write, you had to edit, you had to perform, you had to research, you had to learn history, you had to take things that you saw and create satirical, translate them into something. Did you ever think wow, it's weird that I could do that and school's not really working for me. No, not in my life. Because also, I did my PhD dissertation, was called
0: Global Citizenship Education, and was focused on the case of scouting as a global movement. Mm -hmm. But even then, I was totally separating the learning of school and the learning of non-formal education as two different worlds. That is why when I started to realize that it was another way to understand education as a whole, which was linked of what happened in my own country 100 years ago. No, and It was not something that came from the sky. Um, I realized that I was missing the main point, and this is why I'm so passionate now that I found the
1: point on this. So, so I'm guessing you became a scout leader. Mm-hmm. So you were a scout leader... Uh, around the time that you were going to college. Yep. And then, and so. And even a little bit before, because I started
0: to be scout leader when I was 18 and I entered entered college at 22.
1: How were you doing in college
0: when you started? I did did it very well. I studied college uh, studying philosophy. Uh, you know that uh, we don't have um, mostly major uh, minors, but our undergraduate degrees are quite focused. So I started a 4 years uh, philosophy uh, um, undergraduate program. And um, when I was more or less in the third year, I got a little bit bored uh, on, the, on what we were doing because part, an important part of what we were doing was... Very focused on traditional um, lessons, someone explaining you, taking notes, etc. I moved to uh, the School of Journalism. I did the degree on journalism, and when I finished that, I went back and I finished the degree on philosophy. But to me, it was, uh, I didn't need uh, quite effort. So it was easy. I find it, uh, I find it
1: easy. So, how did you make sense of that? I didn't. I
0: didn't, uh, because one interesting thing, and that's also something that I wanted to to reflect on uh, in, in the book that I was telling you about, uh, linked to this idea of failure, is that for many years I assumed and I believed that my failure in school was like being sick for a while. You know, you are like, you have this weird time in your life when you are sick, something happens, and suddenly you are not sick anymore, and that's it, and uh, everything is all right. So my explanation in life is, you had these weird years, but these things happen when you are a teenager, and then you are back into the normal. It took me a long while to understand that I wasn't sick, and that it was more of a social sickness that many kids are being um, are being victims of, and that this idea that this is the fault of these kids is uh, taking many of these kids out of school, out of the system. So it took me that while to understand that it was not that I had seven, eight years of my life that I was kind of distracted or not focused. It was a problem on how learning
1: happened. So you go, you get your, you start your philosophy degree. You take a break and you get your journalism degree. You get your philosophy degree. How does that, how do you end up in economics? That's a, that's a nice question. Remember that in parallel of the university,
0: I was like leader uh, in the at board member in the scouts, and then chairman of this plat, youth platform. And this gave me a lot of uh, like public. Uh, exposure. And I was like interacting with the government, with the parliament, uh, with the Congress, um, like promoting actions for young people, etc. And it was in that context that this guy that is called Ambreu Masculel, who is an economist that just came few years before from Harvard, uh, he's uh, the author of one of the most uh, well-known uh, macroeconomics textbooks uh, for grad studies, took the position of Minister for Universities and Research, and he knew me because he attended something that I was giving a talk on with the, with the Catalan president at that time, totally by chance. Uh, He told me, why don't you come here and help me build this this new ministry? And I did it. I was uh, 28 at that moment. And it was a great experience because he's so smart, generous, and at the same time challenging. He's very ambitious, not personally speaking, but on the projects, on the goals, and that helped me build with this combination of generosity and ambition, my professional profile and my contributions. Later on, I went, uh, after this, we were together like three years and a half, I decided to go uh, to the University of Chicago to do a uh, a a master's in research in social studies, mostly because I felt that I needed to have like a deeper exposure on academic work, and it was fantastic. Later on, I I had a a position of a research fellow at the University of Cambridge, where I was working on my dissertation, and I came back to Barcelona. And in that time, he was trying to build this uh, institution, uh, the the Barcelona Graduate School of Economics, and he asked me, why don't you come and become the director? And uh, I said, well, I, I have no idea on economics. And he said, well, um, uh, we do have ideas of economics, but you have idea on strategy, institutional development, uh, public uh, uh, exposure. And uh, yeah, I became the director of the Barcelona Graduate School of Economics, now called Barcelona School of Economics, um, for the first six years. And it was uh, an imp- uh, incredibly learning
1: experience. All right, and so now we're back full circle. Because this is the point when you suddenly think about education again.
0: Yeah. When I was director of the Barcelona Graduate School of Economics, my feeling was clearly I am here because now I'm in my normal behavior. Because what happened to me when I was a teenager was that I was in an, a normal uh, moment, right? But then I realized that many of the people that were there were people that were working like James Heckman at the University of Chicago does on challenging the way we assess in public education or on measuring non-cognitive skills or people of experimental economics trying to understand how market works based on performance of the students. And I realized that it was another approach and I started To go deep on this, up to the point that after these six years, I decided to do a sabbatical and to try to figure out what was going on in all of that. And it was in New York with all these elements and others that I started to realize that I needed to revise, to rethink, to reformulate my comprehension of what education was. So how did you do that? Again, in a uh, project-based, self-organized, because... I started to visit schools and just uh, visiting and trying to understand what happened. For instance, I remember visiting a school um, in uh, in uh, Brooklyn, uh, in an unprivileged area, and um, the principal told me that it was so focused on students' uh, uh, success. And they said we want them. They haven't. Their families haven't uh, gone to uh, to college, and we want them to be to, to go to college. So we are here, focus on that, on their success. But I wonder, and I saw kids that were treated like in a military uh, community. I said I don't see empowerment here. I see kids that are that should. Adapt themselves on the school, not the other way around. So, and I asked some questions, and then I moved to another school, and I realized that when the principal was walking, was speaking with kids, kids were seated in the I don't know, in the playground, and they were not even standing up when speaking with Kim. It was not fear on them, but they w- they had a connection of um, um, like um, some emotional one. So. In each one of these, how do you assess this? How, how big kids interact among them or with adults? What is the way adults speak about kids? Um, how are the decorations? Uh, each one of these questions led to another one, and the most you visit, the most new answers you create. That was the beginning
1: of everything. And so what happens next?
0: Um... A combination of things i was invited to a conference uh on non-formal education in hong kong a world conference uh and uh i was asked to explain my approach on non-formal education but they also asked me to cr- to organize a workshop with a guy who was working on transforming uh, formal education, meaning schooling, and then I started to learn that they were not two different approaches, but that the same one. Then I uh, wrote a book on my dissertation called World Scouting, Educating for Global Citizenship, and I was invited to present the book in the uh, Comparative and International Education Society conference, and I realized there that the keynote speech by the chairman of the, of the society was on... What do we have to do to change the education systems uh, all over the world towards student-centered ones, active learning one, And I started to realize that many of the things that I saw in some schools were the same that in non-formal education people were speaking in, the same that UNESCO was saying, the same of the, of the society was saying. And I thought that I had to go back
1: to Barcelona and focus on this, and that's what I did. So this brings us back to that that organization that your old school ended up joining. Mm-hmm. Tell me more about that. Well, um, I kept visiting schools, some of the
0: schools that are here in deeper learning, uh, Ludizo, Las Viñas, many other schools. I started to see that there were many schools that were struggling on creating learning experiences for kids that were both challenging and meaningful Unrespectful of kids, and this combination was amazing to me. Because it was what I was lacking, right? And what I realized is that many schools also wanted to go in that direction, but didn't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. How we organize, how we change a school, and there were two different things. One, the change of mindset of teachers, of principals. Second, the the um, the change management how you move them so i started to speak with the schools that were already working that way to ask them if we could create some kind of alliance for the schools that were already working in that direction to help the others through examples and through um learning uh, uh or training uh, procedures and we created this initiative it was uh during three years and a half that was called Ascola Nova Bintio. It means new school twenty one. And new school it was because the beginning of twentieth century movement new school. So taking something that explained that what we were doing went back to these people that Mm one hundred years ago was promoting. And and is that still going now? um no this uh, this was uh, this uh, ended up uh in late uh 2019 um, the idea was to change the mindset and we were successful in this um, 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 like Around 16% of the of our education system was involved, and in that was uh, around 500 schools. We create even a sample of 30 schools with which we did an intensive process of change um, with training, um, a clinical residency uh, training uh, programs, actions of transforming the schools, and we showed that uh, that was possible. And we make all these procedures uh, to be public and to be used. Uh, both for public administrations and privates. And this is something that is uh, being now ongoing at several levels. Cool. So, so where
1: did the book come from? The
0: book comes from a provocation. Uh, I didn't want to write a a book on education because I thought and I believe that there are many people that I know that could explain much more on education than me because they are properly working uh, at school level. But then the provocation came from this publisher who told me, look, one day in a talk that you gave, you mentioned something about your school failure and you didn't mention... Uh, much more. And I said, yep, yeah, um, this is something that I sometimes came to my mind, but I don't talk uh, about it for two reasons. Why? One, because I don't like to talk about me. And second, I don't like to talk about my feelings. But it's a, it's a cultural question. And she said, yeah, but you know, my daughter is failing in school. So explaining what is harmful for you, what it was painful for you. But also how you overcome it could be helpful for others, and that was the beginning. Because when I started to write it, and that was um, I started uh, on summer last year. Uh, I realized that the pain or the struggles were not only in school. So I wanted also to to try to reflect on on the things that you ask uh, how. Um, the exposure in civil society was important what happened with work Uh, what happened with the work ethic Uh, is this more important what happened with the idea of success what is success for you Uh, what do you realize when a person that you love dies or when you love someone and the other doesn't love you what happened with our interaction what happened with our struggles of being alive and being humans meaning uh needing the others to live. And that was, uh, everything started with this point of school failure, but it built on a much bigger reflection on the grounds of what is relevant in life that should be the grounds of what should be relevant in education.
1: So when did that book come out? Um,
0: uh, Just uh, this, uh, this January. And so what are you doing now? Well, I'm starting to do some talks. The, the book uh, had been the book. The, the book uh, title is Aprembra, it means to learn or learning, um, and it came out in Catalan. And I'm starting to do talks about the book in several cities. And I'm also struggling with how to talk about this book because the book basically makes the reflection based on real life experiences. So it's not a biographical book. It's a book that, from these life experiences, reflects on what is to live to live, and uh, what, uh, what is relevant uh, for education. And I still find it difficult to talk about it. And that's the main point of a book. Now, the interesting thing, though, is that since the book was published, uh, I think that it came out in mid-February, I I was confused on that, Um, I started to receive letters from people, messages uh, on their own reflections. So people use the book as a mirror, and this mirror I see is useful because it entitles them to talk about their pains, their doubts, their dreams, or the dreams that didn't come true, and the meaning. Cool. And uh, and are you continuing to work with schools? Um, I'm now working um, in Catalan University, uh, Pompeu Fabra -Fabra University, uh, helping them to change the educational approach, but also in one of the schools of this network that is called uh, um, Ludizo doing a Socratic seminar. So I'm experiencing for the first time what it is uh, to work with kids that are 14 and 15, uh, trying to, to build on them uh, those skills that for me were so important. But at the same time, we keep with these schools, the three that are here in deeper learning and around 30 more, uh, a network of schools uh, to learn from each other and to focus on uh, the future of education
1: It's funny that you say that working with teenagers is new to you because you've been doing it in scouting forever exactly but this is this is uh, you're totally
0: right and and this this shows that I still have a little bit of a mindset of separation because to meet had been Super easy working with them. I love teenagers, and I love the. I I feel that teenagers to me are a little bit like cats, that you need to create a particular connection for them to love you and for you to love them. Uh, but this is a real challenge, and when when you achieve this, the connect the connection is magical, and you're right. Uh, it, I felt it a challenge because the context was a school. But uh, the connection is making me, it's, it, it's providing me with such a joy and pleasure, yep. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Um, it's a pleasure to learn from you again. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure to talk to you.
1: Hot unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. We've got a link to Edouard's book, Aprendra, in the show notes. Unfortunately, for the time being, it's only available in Catalan. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in the new year.